Okay, open to 2 Corinthians. We're actually going to finish 2 Corinthians. Yes? Some of you are like, yay, and some of you are like, oh. But either way, we're going to be done. We are going to finish this up. It's been such a long book. After this, we need a vacation. So Joey and I are going to go on our anniversary trip. Usually it's in November. 21. We're adults now. And uh, so we're going to go on our anniversary trip uh, early because we're going to go to the New England states. So we're going to visit six states. We're going to start in Connecticut and move over into Rhode Island, then spend four days in Boston on a history trip because I love history. And so then we're going to go on up to Vermont, then New Hampshire, and into Maine. And so we're going in October because the, the foliage is going to be perfect and she loves taking pictures and stuff like that. So we're just going to have a restful time, be gone for like 10 days. So next week we have Dr. Jerry Williamson. So he is an apostle. He's a missionary apostle around the world. So he's powerful. He will come here next week. So, all right, ready for the word. All right, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 12. Look at, we have two last verses in, in chapter 12, and then we'll read the rest of chapter 13. 2 Corinthians 12.20 says, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you would, you would not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have, not, who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. This will be the third time I'm coming to you. This is the first verse of chapter 13. This will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. I have told you before and foretell you as if I was present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we are also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourselves as whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless... Indeed, you're disqualified, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Now I pray to God that you will do no evil, not that I should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we seem disqualified. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we just thank you so much for the Word of God that's filled with the spiritual nutrients that we need today. We're going to open our heart and receive it by faith and be nourished by it. 
Again, Holy Spirit, we ask you to, be, to, to uh, be that spiritual teacher that we need. You would anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace. Cause them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, I thank you that you're speaking to your children even now. And they're going to walk away hearing from you. And only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. Let's start unpacking. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found of you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, and tumults. So Paul's saying, I'm coming the third time, and I have a fear. I have a fear. What is he fear uh, afraid about? Well, it's not an insecurity, a fear of insecurity, but it's a fear for them. Because he's going to come the third time. He's been there once to start the church. And then after he left, there was, there was just problems started in the church. There was factions. There was schisms. There was false teaching. First Corinthians filled a litany of things that was wrong in the congregation. Paul wrote First Corinthians correcting them. And then he, eventually he came back and it was a painful visit where he had to correct people. And so it wasn't a very joyous visit, a painful one. And he left. And so he heard while he was gone, things were not getting any better. And so he wrote 2 Corinthians, and now he says, I'm about to come to you a third time, and I fear that I'm going to find you not as I wish, which means that you haven't changed your conduct, you haven't changed your belief and changed the way you're living. And you're going to find me as such as you don't wish, because usually I am so nice. Paul was so nice and kind, but... He's going to come back and he's going to be harsh with them. He's going to be disciplinarian there and they're not going to like that. He says that I fear lest when I come there will be contentions. Look at the word contentions. It is the word for strifes, strifes, wrangling. And so this was present in the first Corinthians. And Paul said there's strife and division among you. And because there's strife and division among you that you're, you're carnal carnal that means fleshly you're just being led by the flesh and then he called them babies and so if you have strife in your life and wherever you have you go you just find you know what everywhere i go people are crazy and and people i just have problem wherever i go i have problem with people because they're the problem well let me tell you if you have a string of that you're the common denominator Maybe you're carnal, fleshly, immature. Now, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. Mean you's like this. Just keep that in mind. Lest there be contentions. And so he's going to list some sins here that are fleshly sins, carnal sins, and sins of immaturity. And so he says then jealousies. I think we understand what jealousy is. He said there's jealousy in the church. Next of all, outbursts of wrath. That means outbursts of passion, uh, outbursts of anger, anger that boils up, but it soon subsided, subsided, uh, uh, subsided again. You know, like, well, I get angry, but I get over it quick. But yeah, but so does a hand grenade. <laughs> it blows up, it's over real fast, but it has a lot of damage. And so if you're given outbursts of wrath and, and, and just fly off the handle, yeah, but there's some collateral damage that you do in people's lives. That, what, what is an outburst of wrath? It's a blow-up. Uh, modern translation message says the flesh flash. The message doesn't say that, but that's a modern translation. 
Ask someone, have you had a flesh flash? You don't know anybody that's had a flesh flash. Doesn't happen in this church. Flesh, flesh. Selfish ambitions. I love this word. This Greek word means electioneering or intriguing for office. What is this? This is church politics. What's church politics? Where people are vying for control and they're trying to do whatever they can do to get in control or be in, to be seen. And so that's called church politics. And so that's part of the flesh. Next of all, it says backbitings and whisperings. They're two different things. Backbitings is not a good translation of this Greek word. Backbitings, this Greek word means to speak against. It is public and out loud. You've come in against someone else. You're speaking against them. You're speaking against leadership. It's out loud. It's public. Everyone can hear it. The next word is whisperings. This is secret slandering. This is private and quiet. Just because you're private and quiet doesn't make it better. Matter of fact, it's sometimes worse. Because the public sign, you know the enemy. It's better to know the enemy you face than the one you don't know. And so this kind is speaking behind the, uh, by people's backs, quietly whispering. Next is conceits. That's a puffing up of the soul pride. And next of all, tumults, instability, a state of disorder. You see a church that's filled with disorder because there's strife, division, these sins in here. And so where strife and envy are, there's confusion in every evil work. How much evil work? That's James 3.16. Every evil work where strife and envy is. God is not the author of confusion or fear. 1 Corinthians 14.33. Praise God. That's your church. That's right. Look at verse 21. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, lewdness which they practiced. Paul says, I'm going to be humbled among you and actually start mourning over you. Mourning. That shows the heart of this man over them, the concern. But when do you mourn? Normally, when, when does someone mourn? When there's a death. I want you to see something that they're acting like dead people. I want you to see a church that had a reputation of being alive, but they were dead. I look at Revelation 3.1. Revelation 3.1. This is to the church of Sardis. And to the angel of the church of Sardis. Right, these things says, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works that you have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. And so Paul says, you're acting dead. You're acting like unbelievers that don't, they're not alive spiritually. And I will end up having to mourn over your condition. And he says that uh, I'm going to mourn over those that have sinned. Christians can sin. Right here. Christians can sin. Well, I thought all my sins was washed away. Well, Jesus paid for your sins. He paid for the guilt of your sins, but Christians can still sin and do a good job of it. The devil can watch and say, that's a new one. I'm going to write that down. I haven't thought of that one. 
and repented of uncleanness. Look at this word uncleanness. It's connected with sexual immorality. It's unnatural sex, including homosexuality, uh, lesbianism, and a perversion, sexual perversion of all types. The only approved sexual interaction in the Bible is between a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage. God doesn't sanction sex with a man with a man, a woman with a woman, two men with a woman, two women with a man, a man with an, uh, with an animal, a female with an animal. It's a man and, not, and a man or a woman that's not married. Well, he's a joy kill. Well, no, he's wanting to make sure your joy's not killed. Because when you have sex outside of marriage, that's going to end up causing great heartache and devastation because God has created sex within a covenant of commitment. And if there's no commitment, there's nothing but devastation that's left behind. And so he's going to bring out that, the, that some in this congregation are in this. This is just a sign that there's an emptiness in their hole that God can feel, but they're not looking to God. They're not fulfilling, and they don't know their identity of the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. They don't realize they're blood-washed, spirit-taught, pew-jumping, devil-thumping, tongue-talking, spirit-walking, word-quoting, demon-smoking, kneeling-kneeling, children of God. That's who you are. If that's who you believe you are, you're not going to live like the devil. Don't make me repeat that. All right. Blood-bought, spirit-taught, pew-jumping, devil-thumping, tongue-talking, spirit-walking, word-quoting, demon-smoking, healing-kneeling. Son of God, daughter of God. Next of all, he's going to say fornication. The Greek word porneia, we get pornography from this word, porn from this word, which has that aspect. Back then they didn't have the, the kind that we see today, but it, that's illicit sexual intercourse between unmarried individuals, sex outside of marriage. Well, pastor, we're engaged. We're almost married. Well, look on the word almost. Well, you're condemning me, Pastor. No, no. If you're born again, there's no condemnation in Christ. But you're going to bring condemnation on yourself. And your heart's going to condemn you because that's not your nature. You're holy. Tell someone you're holy. Do you know the word holy and the word saint is the same Greek word hagios? means a set-apart one. Turn and introduce yourself as saint in your first name. You're a saint. You're holy. Do you not know who you are? You may not know who you are. Is there any holy Joes? There's always a holy Joe among us. Or you've not repented. Repent means to change your mind. Change what you believe. Change your thinking about who you are. Next of all, lewdness, which you practiced. The word lewdness means unrestraint. That you've practiced, that you've exercised this, that there's an ongoing thing in your life. And so this ought not be among the Christians that we even mention these things. But we have to. Look at verse 1. Chapter 13, verse 1. This will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. The first time he established the church, second time was a painful visit. 
This is about to be the third time. And he, he gives a principle that was set out in the Old Testament law. That if you brought someone and charged them with a crime, that they had to have two or three witnesses against them before they could get charged. It's the same way, and that's the law today. You have to have witnesses. And so uh, Paul says, this is the third time I'm coming. I saw it twice. The third time, if I see it again, it's time to bring discipline, church discipline here. Let me say this. You want to write this down. It's that good. Write it down. Once is an incident. Twice is a coincidence. Three times is a pattern. He says, this has become a pattern that I need to deal with now. And so this is what Jesus introduced this principle in the New Testament. If you have an issue with someone, if you have a problem with someone, what does it say to do? Go talk about them. Go, go to leadership and tell them about what they've done. No, what do you do? You go to them alone. Well, you need to, well, I don't want to do that because I have the chicken spirit. Yeah, but God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's not given you the chicken spirit, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. You have grace to, to have that crucial conversation with that person. Well, if they don't listen, what do you do? Bring two or three witnesses. That's not your best friends. A witness is some, they've seen something or know something about it. You bring them to that situation. And then if they don't listen, take it to church leadership. And so it says that every word be established. Do you know that this is the foundation for sound biblical interpretation? That if you get a revelation out of a scripture, guess what? If it's truly from God, you can find it in, a, in at least two other places. Bless you. You can find it in at least two other places. And so you get off when you have this wonderful revelation out of, and you've twisted out of context, but you can't find it in other verses. The more important your doctrine is, the more verses you'll have to back it up. And so he says, mouth of two or three witnesses, and this will be the third time I'm coming, verse 2. I've told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time, because when he was there the second time, he warned them. He warned them of these sins. He says, I'm leaving now, and I'm going to give you space to correct it. But if you don't correct it, when I come back, it will be corrected. There will be discipline be brought forward. I foretell you, as I was present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest. There were some that were sinning before, and then while he, since he's been gone, there's new ones that joined into those sins because a rotten apple does what? And, and they've corrupted other people. And he says, these are new offenders that if I come, I will not spare. This brings out a very important principle for leaders. Paul didn't deal with it the first time. He didn't deal with it the second time. He says, now it's a pattern. I got to deal with it. This brings, raise your hand if you're a leader. Well, you, should, you should strive to be a leader. This brings out a very important principle for leaders. Don't be overly quick in dealing with a problem the first time you see it or hear it. Now, if it's a crime, yes. If it's sexual molestation of a child, yes. I'm not talking about those things. But normally it's just things that you see that's off. And, and so don't be so quick in dealing with the problem that first time or even the second time. Because guess what? If it's a true problem, it will crop up a second and third time. And, but on the other hand, the other ditch is don't ever deal with the problem. 
And so, you, so if you don't have a ditch on either side of where you're standing, you're in the ditch. Think on this. Either this, and our personalities usually go to one another. Either we're overly quick just to nail people the first time we see something, or we just, we just kind of avoid it, put our head in the sand. We don't want it's going to go away. Often it doesn't go away. And so, again, people, people fall in two general categories. They're either thumbtacks or nails. What are you talking about? Well, people are like that. So a thumbtack just takes a little gentle pressure to get the job done. Most people are like thumbtacks. You just give a little gentle correction that takes it. But then there's some people that are nails. Little gentle pressure doesn't even, they don't even realize anything's been said to them until a hammer goes right between their thighs. I call them knucklers. We just wrap on their forehead and, and you may get hold of them. And so, but what's a problem is someone's always taking a hammer around, hitting everything with a hammer. If you take a hammer to a thumbtack, you're going to damage it. So again, put, tell someone, put your hammer away. Put your hammer away. Try the gentle side, but then, oh, they're a nail. Got to do something different. And Paul says that I will not spare. That means there will be church discipline and possibly excommunication of some members of the church of Corinth. Verse 3, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak towards you but mighty in you, Paul, Paul said here, false teachers had tried to convince the Corinthians that Paul wasn't even sent from Christ. He wasn't Christ's messenger. And Paul says, okay, if you're wanting, you're wanting proof that Christ is speaking by me, well, let me tell you about Jesus. He's not weak towards you, but mighty in you. You know, when people come against you, guess what? It's not really about you. Point them to Jesus. Put your confidence in Jesus. And he immediately points to Jesus and says, Jesus Christ is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. And so verse 4 says, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. What's he saying? Sometimes what seems as weakness isn't weakness. What is weakness sometimes is actually strength. And you're thinking, you see me as weak, but no, I have the fruit of patience. I have the strength, spiritual strength of patience to not immediately go off the handle. So what appears as weakness is often a display of great strength and wisdom. I want you to see something, Proverbs 16, 32. Have you ever been in intense fellowship with someone? And they're arguing their point. And they're trying to win an argument. And what's your flesh want to do? I want to win that argument. And they, they give you their piece of wisdom and you give them a piece of your mind. They give them a piece of your And belong. you don't have any left to give. But your flesh wants that last word. It wants to win the argument. Okay, uh, married people, have you ever won the argument and lost? Horribly lost? Proverbs 16, look at verse 32. Let me tell you what real strength is. When you can, when you can restrain your anger and not have to win the argument and look like, oh, they got put in their place. It's like, no, I'm actually going to walk in some strength and maturity. Look at Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. 
And he who rules his spirit than he that takes a city. That's the mature one. That, doesn't, that knows how to stop the argument. By the strength of endurance, Jesus endured the sufferings of the cross. And the cross was the greatest display of God's power and wisdom that there ever was outside of the resurrection. Paul dealt with people, but he did it in meekness. But now he says, when I come, I'm going to live by the power of God. For I'm weak in him, but I shall live, we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. What's he saying? I'm going to use my spiritual authority when I come back. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to do all these things the natural people do. I'm going to use spiritual authority and deal with the situation. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians, he had, to, or he had to deal already with someone and use spiritual authority and handed them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And it was such a horrible experience for the man, he repented and came back into the church. And Paul says, I will use my spiritual authority God's given to me, and my weakness will be seen as strength. Look at verse 5. He says, examine yourselves as whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? Notice it says examine yourselves and then says test yourselves. What's the difference? Two different Greek words, two different types of tests. Look at the word examine. It's the Greek word perazo, P-E-I-R-A-Z-O, perazo. This test is the test always used, almost always, from the devil. That's how the devil tests. And his test is to find a deficiency. When the devil hits you and tests you, it's, he's always trying to find a weakness or deficiency he can capitalize on. But here it says, test yourselves. Test yourself. He says, fine, test yourself for any deficiency you have. In what area? Keep reading. It says, examine yourselves as whether you're in faith. Examine yourself. Look to yourself and test yourself and find, are you deficient in trusting Jesus? Where are you not trusting Jesus? Where you're trusting yourself instead of trusting Jesus. Examine and test for that weakness of, your, of where you are trusting Jesus or not. Next he says, test yourselves. This word is a different Greek word, dokimazo, D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. This means to test in order to approve and to use in a greater way. And so what are we looking for in this kind of test? What are we looking for? What test are we doing? What, what test is it? Well, is it a profession to certain tenets of the faith? Yes, that includes that. Because if you're a true believer, you need to have certain tenets you agree to or believe to. Jesus is born of a virgin. That he was God and became flesh. He's deity and humanity. That he lived a sinless life. He went to the cross and through the atonement of his blood, by grace through faith are we saved. He died, but he was raised physically from the dead. And he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. And there's eternal hell and eternal heaven. There's certain doctrines we as believers can test ourselves with if we're truly believers. But it goes deeper than that. What other test are we to test ourselves with? A fruit test. Ask someone, are, do you have fruit or are you just fruity? We are to test ourselves for the fruit of the Christian life. What is the fruit of the Christian life? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And faithfulness in there. 
gentleness and self-control. These only come by drawing on the root of Christ. You can't produce those without Him. No root, no fruit. If these qualities are absent, totally absent from a Christian, it's right to question their true conversion. Jesus said so. Look in Matthew 12, look at verse 33. Matthew 12, look at verse 33. Jesus said this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its theology. Oh, I'm sorry. A tree is known by its fruit. Now, in a Christian, there's an internal evidence of being a believer and external evidence. Let's look at the internal evidence that every believer has within themselves, a subjective. You have it within you that you know you're a Christian. Look at 1 John 5.10. He says, don't you know within yourself that you belong to him? So what is that evidence, that internal evidence that we have as a believer inside of us that we belong to him? Look at 1 John 5, look at verse 10. 1 John 5, 10 says, he, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. Say the witness. witness. What does that mean? You just know that you 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 know in your knower that you belong to him. Raise your hand if you have that in, in witness. But guess what? You should have external evidence. And you should have some fruit in your life. So we're about to go through fall, and I love the beautiful fall colors of the trees. Did you know that, here, that death is beautiful? Do you know what's happening out there? Those, those leaves are dying. I'm shriveling. But they turn beautiful, but they're going to drop off. And you'll have a barren tree, and snow will come, and ice will come, the cold weather will come, but spring will come. But what would happen if spring fully comes, and you see a tree with no leaves or fruit? What would you say? It's dead. It's dead. Do you have fruit? Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? That's inward witness. Unless indeed you're disqualified. Look at this Greek word. It means rejected after trial. Who's rejected after trial? Unbelievers. Unbelievers will be rejected after trial because they don't have faith in Jesus. It's just like Jesus gave a parable. He said, I, we, the, a master threw a party. They all came and wedding garments was given all of them except for one man. He refused the wedding garment, and he just wanted to wear his clothes. And the king walked in, the master walked in, they saw everybody with the wedding clothes, and about one man says, where is your wedding clothes? And he said, well, I, he didn't know what to say. And so he was cast out and rejected. What is the clothing that we get clothed with the minute we accept Jesus? The robe of righteousness through Jesus Christ. But there's some that come to church, sit among us, say Christian, sing Christian songs, and act like they're Christians and are not saved. They will be rejected. Not in this church. Amen. Those kind of people are not comfortable in this church. Verse 6. But maybe there is one. Test yourself. Verse 6. But I trust that you will know that we're not disqualified. We're not unbelievers. 
Look at our lives. Paul was one of the most eminent examples of faith in the day and time they lived in. Paul and his associates bore the fruit of the Spirit in copious amounts. I love that word, copious. My parents are glad that their money's not wasted on college. Because I can use the word copious. Verse 7. Now I pray to God that you will do no evil, not that you should appear approved, that we should be approved, but that you should do what's honorable, though we may be disqualified. Paul saying here is we want you to do right things. We don't want you to do evil. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. We want you to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfill your mission. But it's not for the purpose that we would look good. That like, well, who's the who's your pastor? He didn't say, he didn't say, I don't want it's not for me to look good or bad. It's about you and not me. And Paul says, I'm doing all of this, not so that I will look good. That shows Paul's maturity in the Christian walk. Paul prayed that they would bear good fruit, not bad fruit, and be effective witnesses for Christ. Not that we should appear approved. Paul's desire for their spiritual growth and virtue was not so much that made Paul look good or vindicated, but it was because it's right and best for them. But it says that though we may seem disqualified. Again, no matter if Paul was acclaimed for the work he had done, or on the Corinthians or not, he still sought their highest good, even if he was evil spoken of. It did not matter how he looked in the end of it all, as long as they accepted and followed Christ. Do you know this is really, we take things so personally. When someone comes against us, oh, they spoke against me. How dare that? That makes me look bad. Really, it's not really about you. It's about Jesus. And Paul says, I don't care if I look bad or not, as long as Jesus is being lifted up. Jesus' kingdom is being advanced. That's what's important, not how I look. Now, it's important how you look to people. Don't be in sin in the background and say, well, I don't care what people think. But guess what? If you're serving the Lord with a clean heart, but guess what? And they come against you, plan on it. But it's not about you. They're coming against the word in you, the Jesus in you, the spirit in you. It's all about Jesus, not how good you look. Tell someone it's not about you. Now tell someone else it's really not about you. Verse 8, Paul says, For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. What is he saying? Paul is serving Jesus. So he decided to keep his personal feelings of how he looked to people out of it. He was about advancing the truth, whether it made him look good or not. Paul is saying here that no matter how I look at the end of the day, I will do what promotes the truth of Jesus in his kingdom. When people come against you and talk bad about you or they praise you. Now, let me say something. How, How do you know you're moved by man's praise? Because you're moved by their criticism. You don't know how much praise is affecting you until you know how you're reacting when someone criticizes you. Because it's, it's equal. It's a balance. It's a balance. How you're being affected by praise, you can't, it's hard to tell that. But you can tell it. it's equal to how you're affected when criticism comes to you. When someone does something and says something against you, you really want to know where your maturity of Christian walk is is wait till someone says something against you or does something against you. That's when you know what your maturity is. What's your reaction? Do you blow up, get angry, get mad? Or are you going to show some fruit? Verse 9. For we are glad when we are weak 
and you are strong. And this we also pray that you may be made complete. What's this verse saying? Paul is saying it did not matter to him if he looked weak to the Corinthians as long as they became strong. Paul was not concerned about him looking good to others as long as others were being blessed and built up. This shows his selfless character. That, and he prayed that you would be complete. Look at the word complete. It means a complete adjustment to make fully ready to put in order. He says, guys, God wants to use your church. There's a mantle, a calling on this church, this Corinthian church. And you're going to have to put everything in a complete adjustment. You need to make yourself fully ready. You need to put things in order or I can't use you, says the Lord. Do you know there's a mantle on this church? There's a calling on this church. But if we're divided, if we're, if we're filled with, with strife, division, in jealousies, and, and uh, politics and all that stuff, God can't use this church the way he wants to use it. Verse 10. Therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the authority which the Lord had given to me for edification and not for destruction. He says, I am writing a very sharp letter to you. Hopefully this sharp letter will do the job, but if not, I will be sharp when I get there. But you know what? He's going to actually use more authority than he is going to be his physical intimidation. Do you know in the Old Testament how a pastor dealt with a problem? I want you to see an Old Testament pastor and how they did with a problem in their congregation. Look at Nehemiah. Look at Nehemiah 13 verse 25. He's having trouble with his people. This is what Nehemiah does when the people are in line. Nehemiah 13, 25. So I, Nehemiah, contended with them and cursed them. I struck some of them. I slapped some of them around. And I pulled out their hair. Aren't you glad pastor today is not slapping you around, pulling your hair out of your head? We're not in the old covenant. You can't do that as a pastor today. You want to, don't do it. Sometimes a Christian leader is called to rebuke people sharply for their own good. Titus 1.13. Titus 1.13. Correction in the New Testament is what you do for someone, not what you do to someone. Even the Lord rebukes us because He loves us. Revelation 3.19. And he says, according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, not for destruction. God has given Christian ministers authority in regards to the people of God. Some limited, not in their personal life, but among in the church and in the church. It's very important as a leader what we say and do are in line with what Jesus would say and do to the people. There are some people that have been hurt in church. That, the, that unfortunately many Christian ministers have used their position of authority to hurt others, not bless others. If you've been hurt by a Christian leader, I'm sorry that happened to you. Verse 11. Finally, you're like, oh. Is that the closing or is this? Hold on. We're getting close. There's hope, finally. Finally, brethren, farewell. Enjoy the letter. Can you imagine the church service when this was read? 
Become complete. It's a different Greek word for complete this time. It means to put in order, to be mended and perfected. What's he saying is there's fractures. There's tears in relationships in your church. Let them be mended. If you have a tear in a relationship in your life today, then God's asking you to make the first move to mend it. Well, they, you don't know what they did. When they just, well, who is the first one to move forward to mend a torn relationship? The mature one. Ask somebody, are you the mature one? No, I'm not. Well, it says become complete. Become complete. You don't have time for strife. You don't have time for offense. You don't have time for unforgiveness and bitterness. The time is too short. The mandate on your life, you don't have time for it. This church does not have time for it. Be of good comfort. After this spiritual spanking, bring it in. Let's hug. Bring it in. You spank a child. Okay, let's let's love it. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. We all agree on doctrine. No, we'd never get there. What is the one mind? It's the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the mind he had in Philippians 2, where he said, Being in the form of God, did not thought it robbery to be equal to God, but divested himself of his attributes and took the form of a servant. And that's the mind. Let that mind be in you that was in Christ to become a servant, servant-minded. Servant-minded. Not to be served. Not to be touchy. Not to blow up. But to serve and show fruit. Be of one mind and servanthood and peace. Live in peace. Cultivate peace. As much as this is in you, live in peace with someone. Some people just won't live in peace with you. But have you made the attempt? Have you made the first step? And the God of love and peace will be with you. If the Corinthians were committed to love and being at peace, first you have to be committed to it. Are you committed to love and being at peace? That doesn't mean you're able to, but are you wanting it? Are you committed to it? If the Corinthians were committed to love and being at peace with each other and asked God for his grace, then the God of love and peace would empower them and manifest this in their midst. Verse 12. All the single men are waiting for this one. <laughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> Joey and I were singles pastors for 16 years. We'd have young bucks come into the con- into our burger, and they didn't know much scripture, but they have memorized this one. <laughs> Could quote it accurately and practiced it. A doer of the word. (laughs) Hold on before you start kissing one another. Let's wait. Hold on. Hold on. There's been examples throughout church history that kissing that was not so holy. In the early church, men kissed men, women kissed the women. This was called the brothers kiss apiece and the sisters kiss apiece. 
Now, there's been times where this has happened a few times where I've had a lady walk up and give me a kiss after church on my cheek. I'm not that comfortable with that. I'm even less comfortable with a man doing it. I know they do that in Russia. I'll deal with it when I have to. But right now, ladies, let's have a holy side hug. And men, let's have a holy guy hug. You know that guy. You ever watch a guy's hug? It's very brief. It's pat, 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 three times on the back. And that's man code for I'm not gay. Mm -hmm. And then release. I'm not gay, release. Verse 13, all, all the saints, all the saints greet you. Just say, some of the saints greet you. Look at the word greet, it means to embrace. Oh, if all saints would embrace all other saints. Sad the case, not the case. Verse 14, the last verse, we're ending this book. Some shout, some go, oh. Verse 14. The resource, resources to live the Christian walk of everything Paul just said. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice this book started out with grace? Paul says grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He ends the book with grace. This brings out that we start our Christian walk by grace, getting saved. And we'll end by grace and be received into the presence of God by grace. And in between, we walk in the grace, the grace, the grace, the grace by faith. And then the love of God. Do you know how to solve it when you get all riled up and you get so upset when people say something and Sister Bucket Mouth says this and Brother Flippin' Lip says this and, and they do something against you? You need to focus on the love of God for you and realize they're just a human being. They just have a little peanut brain. Their opinion of you is coming out of a peanut brain. That's not been fully roasted. But look up. The unconditional love of the Father never changes. It never changes. When you receive the love of God, it will fix your wagon. And then the communion of the Holy Spirit, the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Here we have the Trinity. Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is here for you. Tell someone the Trinity is here to help you. Tell someone else you need help. One more time, tell someone else you really need help. The word communion is koinonia. It means partnership, a sharing. There's a fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Have you talked to the Holy Spirit? He's a person. We ignore him. We can talk to the Father. We can talk to Jesus. And we can talk to the Holy Spirit. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit. But you can fellowship with all three. We can have a relationship with all three. And all three are necessary and do different functions in our life. 
the Christian walk by the grace of God, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What's amen mean? So be it. Let it be done. Let it be done. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, you've given your word to us, and we'll take it and hide it in our heart. You say, Pastor, there's some relationships in my life or a single relationship I can think of that needs mending. And the Lord's asking and exhorting you, will you take the first step? Will you take that first step with my power, my grace, my love, the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you make that first step to mend that? Oftentimes it takes one step. Someone willing to humble themselves, the mature one to say, you know what? I'm going to receive that. I'm going to amend that thing. I'm going to get this relationship right. And I'm going to forsake this bitterness, this unforgiveness. I don't have time for it. You don't have time for it. Say, Pastor, I know you're talking to me. I know that relationship. I know exactly who the Holy Spirit's highlighting. And I'm going to get over the chicken spirit by your spirit. And I'm believing for this relationship to be made right. I want you to raise your hand. Pastor, you're talking to me. Talking to me right now. Raise your hand high. Father, I thank you for the hands that are raised. Father, I thank you that you're empowering them to see this relationship mended in Jesus' name. Make the first step. And Lord, they're going to focus on your love and you're going to help them. This, this conversation is going to go a lot better than what they think in their head. You're there. You're going to give them wisdom. You're going to tell them how to talk, what to do. And Lord, I think you're going to help them. And I declare this relationship is mended in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Just such a presence in here today with worship. Um, today's a lot of, that was brought forth was actually a correction, some correction to the church. And um, when we hear correction, some of us were not brought up with proper correction. And, and uh, we can have a kind of an attitude of... You know, we don't necessarily receive it because it hasn't been done in a proper way. But I just believe the Lord wants to remind us when he corrects us, when the word of God corrects us, he does it with such love. He does it with such grace. His heart is to redeem. His heart is to heal. His heart is to bring us to that place up higher. He's got more for us. So just receive from the Lord.